Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. It's hard to believe that after a couple of months, we've already reached the NBA Finals, and that is what myself and my co-host today, Otto Strong, are talking about. But real quick before I welcome in Otto, today on Catch and Shoot 2.0, we're going to be joined by TNT host and sideline reporter Jared Greenberg. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jared S. Greenberg, as we talk about his experience in the bubble, his emotional interview with Jamal Murray after his 50-point game, and maybe the first thing that he might do once he steps outside of the bubble But before we get to all that, Otto, is it hard to believe that after this whole experiment with everything the NBA has had to go to to get to this moment, that we finally have an NBA Finals? I'm excited, I'm shocked, and I'm perplexed that we even considered putting an asterisk next to this season because if anything, it's an asterisk going the other way. These guys have done so much more and beyond. It's, uh, this is, this is not a a chip with, with, uh, with anything but but all the respect that it deserves. Yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing because so many times I've always thought that the two teams that meet in the NBA Finals is typically a foregone conclusion, or at least it has been that way for, what, the last four or five years with the run that the Warriors were on, with how that Cavs team was constructed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a Lakers team last year that despite the fact that it didn't have Anthony Davis and it was a very different roster from what they have now, you know, this was a Lakers team that missed the playoffs. This was a Heat team that a lot of people probably thought wasn't going to make the playoffs this year. And the bubble has been the ultimate equalizer. Just how impressed are you with the run that this Heat team has been on before we even talk about LeBron and the Lakers? Oh, yeah. No, look, to me, whatever happens in the finals for the Heat is gravy. Now, I know they'll be the first ones to say, not so fast. Um, You know, Jimmy's got that coffin machine working. (laughs) And so so they're going to. They are gonna. They're gonna be playing. You know, coming out like 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 they did, like deserve to be there, and they obviously do. But um, the fact that they have been able to uh, under Eric Spolster, who's you know uh, just a, a coaching mastermind, been able to get the kind of collection of guys, both really young and veteran guys, and kind of Jimmy as the as the as the anchor to this whole thing, uh, get them you know not only through, but the way that they've done it kind of dispatching of the Bucks, and yes, um, you know, Giannis had, had, you know, went down with an injury, but, but they, were, they were playing them tough before the injury. Um, they took apart a Celtics team that, that most people would have said before the start of that series that they were, were going to go deep. So 
it, it has been nothing shy of amazing what they've been able to do. I think the, and I think the bubble culture helped them. I don't know, in a weird way, I don't know if they are able to replicate this outside of the bubble, which I mean, Heat fans may take that as a slight, but um, you know, that's just how I see it. Yeah, Tyler Hero going into Pfizer form or going into the garden and trying to do some of the things that he's done in these playoffs. I don't think that necessarily happens, but can we give Andre Iguodala a little bit of appreciation on this podcast? The dude has a frustrating year, right? And he's with Memphis for most of it, doesn't really report, gets traded to the Heat, shoots 29%, doesn't you know do the things that we've seen Iggy do. And then all he does the other night is come out and hit a couple big threes that propelled him to that game six victory. I mean, how impressive. How impressive was it what he was able to do? Oh, hell of impressive. I mean, look, it, 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 like it's not the NBA Finals if we don't have Iggy in there, right? The, the sixth straight NBA Finals. So, like, the, the, the guy is a baller. He's a professional. He, he knows that it's, when it's his time to shine, it'll be his time to shine. And he you know, brought it when it mattered most. Absolutely. All right, Bam Adebayo is a big series against the Celtics. Now he gets a Lakers team that is powered by LeBron. You know, because it's not an NBA Finals unless LeBron is a part of it. But he's also got to go opposite of Anthony Davis. How excited are you to watch that matchup? Because the two varying styles of those two players, Bam Adebayo and Anthony Davis, is really intriguing to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bam, I think we, we know one thing. He's not backing down. And AD, um, you know, some of the criticisms have been that he you know, hasn't been exactly there on the boards. I think you know, the last couple of games, he didn't get his first rebound until the second half of the game. Uh, he's going to need to be more physical and he's going to need to take it, take it to him. Uh, even though obviously the you know, Lakers have got some other size that, you know, for, for rebounding, they can, they can go. Um, but, but, uh, you know, AD is going to have to come in and kind of, um, we were talking last, last go around about making this more, more of the AD coming out party than the yeah. continuation of the, the, the LeBron show. Which by the way, does that negate everything that we said last week? You know, AD has this great run up. And, you know, last week we were t- kind of talking about how it seems like LeBron has almost stepped to the side and let AD ascend a little bit more to the leadership role with this Lakers team. And then a closeout game right after, you know, the Nuggets had come off and gotten a big win. LeBron goes for 38 points and he just slams the door on that series. And it's just amazing what this guy continues to do now in his mid thirties and, you know, all the mileage he has on those legs and all the tough battles that he's had in the playoffs that the second that our minds start to think that maybe he's relinquishing some to AD, he still shows that he's the best player in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, there's like that extra special LeBron. It's like the top shelf LeBron (laughs) when he needs it, he kind of brings it out and it's like, Oh, Oh yeah. Okay. That's why. That's why we're still having the conversation about Jordan versus <laughs> versus James, um, but yeah, it's been amazing. So, so the question: What do you like? You know, this is something I've gone back and forth on. I have a really hard time picking against LeBron. I think he's on a mission for title number four. But this is such an interesting scenario because not only is he going up against his former coach and Eric Spolstra, but he's going up against a Heat team that is so young and has had so many different things go well for them in this series. I can't pick against this Lakers squad. I can't pick against LeBron. I do think it goes six games, but I'm going Lakers in six. What about you? I'm going Lakers in five. I just feel like, you know, like we were just saying, uh, LeBron is going to probably find another gear. I don't know for, for four or five games if, he's, if he'll have that gear, but I think he's, you know, he knows exactly what he needs to do when he needs to do it. 
I think AD will realize the moment and step up. And I think some of the other, the, uh, the others, as it were, will, will also, you know, find that moment as well. If LeBron wins a championship inside the bubble, does that count and maybe weigh a little bit heavier on his legacy? The fact that he got this done in such unique situations, yeah, especially look, I mean, with, you know, I mean, think about some of the teammates that he lost along the way too. Yeah. And look, he'll be the, you will be able to say he's the only one to have won a title inside the bubble. Absolutely. I'm all about it. All right. Let's go ahead and talk to someone who's currently inside the bubble and has been for a very, very long time. It's TNT's host and sideline reporter, Jared Greenberg. Today, we have the pleasure of being joined by Jared Greenberg, who has been in the bubble for, he's going to give us the exact count, but I believe it's north of 65 days, maybe even closer to 70. Uh, Jared, how are you doing? Doing great, guys. I, I, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm in the home stretch. And uh, I, I know what my end date, the latest it could possibly be now. So uh, it's been 70 days. It's been, um, it's been an experience I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, I don't want to try and make people feel sorry for me by any stretch of the imagination. Because I know there was only a handful of us who got the... Uh, unique pleasure and honor of being in here. Uh, but there has, that certainly has been, um, that some struggles and, and some, as we all know, we all are living through different times. It's been weird to say the least. I, I phrase it as, you know, I think it's a weird social experiment that's being done on all of us here inside the bubble, but, you know, to see the, the high level of basketball and to be one of the few people who's been in here, particularly for this long has been, it's, it's really been really cool. Jared, how has the experience changed throughout those 70 plus days? Like, take us from the moment you step foot on the Disney campus to, you know, some of the things that you've been a part of during this run have been remarkable and they've been game changing for lack of a better word. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you guys have five hours to, for me to go through all of it, but I'll try and I'll try and summarize as best as possible. Um, I think um, the best way to put it, at least early on, and I guess still to this day is it's been fluid. Um, the the rules and the goalposts continue to change and move um, in terms of what the doctors and the lawyers have agreed upon is what some of the rules and guidelines are here and what some of the parameters of what we're allowed to do while we're here. Um, and you kind of expected that. I I, I really did expect that. Uh, because nobody's ever done anything like this before, ever, right? And and at the scale they're trying to do it at, um, you know, people I think have still to this day when I speak to them have this impression that there's only like basketball players inside the bubble, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, when 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 people talk about the the games being played in front of em in, in empty gyms, that's not necessarily true, um, albeit it's not a 20,000 seat sold out NBA arena that we're accustomed to, there's still probably a couple hundred people in every gym. And there was, I believe at one point at the height of it, 1300 people inside the real inner bubble that we have. And there's different layers to the bubble. Um, you know, we are in what's called the green zone, which is the innermost bubble where we're allowed to, uh, interview players we're allowed to be next to them within obviously the six feet of social distance uh but you know a lot a lot has changed but but the one thing that hasn't changed and and this is this is not me blowing smoke this is 100 uh authentic 
from, from my vantage point is how safe I have felt from moment one stepping foot on campus through now what is day 70. Um, it's crazy the parameters that they took and at it seemed as if you know and I don't want to speak for anybody because I don't know the figures on this but like it never seemed like money was an object when it came to keeping everyone safe and healthy and that was priority number one and it's crazy and I just got back from media day from speaking to some of the players and you know I posed this question to Jimmy Butler and and he he acknowledged how crazy it is that we've gotten to this place and gotten to this place without any any record of anybody, players or otherwise, who have tested positive, let alone gotten sick while they've been down here. And you look at the world around us and you say, wow, uh, okay, if the NBA, an organization, which is essentially an entertainment company, can put this together, why can't the government do something like this? Where not only are we tested on a daily basis, every single day I have to get tested, but within a matter of hours, I receive my results. And then there's still all these redundant uh, parameters taken and measures taken to back up the daily testing. Even, you know, I can't, I can't tell you how many people have questioned me on air when I'm on TNT or NBA TV and they say, why are you wearing a mask? You're inside of a bubble. Everyone's getting tested every day. Well, I think there's a couple of reasons for it. And one of them is because you're not 100% sure after you take a test that you haven't come in contact with someone who's got the virus. And so we're socially distancing. We're trying to eat our meals outside when it's not raining, which it seems like it always is down here in Orlando. But all of these different measures have been taken that are unbelievable that, that have made us all feel so safe in here. And um, it's, 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 you know, I call this a wild social experiment. I, I just hope there are people around the world paying attention to what the NBA was able to pull off here. Because, you know, even today we find out the news uh, about, you know, some NFL teams that, that have some, some, um, some flare-ups in, in their own um, training camps or their own uh, facilities. And, you know, that was expected to happen here. Like Adam Silver acknowledged before we got off the ground that there would be some positive tests. We've now been down here for almost three months and there's been none. Jared, that's a really good point. And it's something that I've thought about for a while is, you know, when you look at the NBA Players Association and the NBA as a whole, the working dynamic that those two groups have between each other, I think has been the strongest amongst the professional sports organizations. What does it say about their working relationship compared to when you analyze it with baseball and football who have had problems? And it seems like the NBA, for all the steps that they took, didn't have any issues getting this off the ground and then getting it implemented once they were there. Yeah. And, and knock on wood Aaron, you know, we, we still got two weeks to go and, and hopefully everything's okay. And I, I think that's what's, that's what kept everybody on their toes here. Like every time you pass another benchmark, you don't have time to pat yourself on the back. And what's been crazy uh, about, about this and we get, you know, I don't know, every couple of weeks, we either get an email update from some of the people uh, around campus or we, we do a Zoom call where they kind of update us on some changing of policies or, or how we're doing. And the one thing they've never done is loosen the restrictions because, because less people are on campus or because we've gotten to week whatever or month whatever and we're near the finish line. Like they want to finish what they've started. And, and I can't speak to the other sports because I don't, I don't cover them 
on a daily basis, like I cover the NBA. But I, I can just speak to, you know, there is there is a common mission among all parties here, and and that's you know the ownership level, that's the players' association, and I think too we need to be honest about what a lot of this is about, the economics, the financial part of it, and the TV partners are paying, uh, you know, a lot of of of, of the basketball related income or revenue that, 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 that comes in, uh, to the NBA. So I think there's an understanding of, yeah, we're going to keep, we're going to try and make some money here. or We're going to try and preserve some of these financial interests we have, but we're not going to do it. We're not going to compromise the health and safety of anybody participating in this to accomplish those goals. And I, I just think that's, that's really cool of this league. And, and listen, I was fully expecting there to be some hiccups and, and we got two weeks to go. Who knows? And maybe we find out, you know, in a month or, or six months or three years from now that there were some hiccups that we never knew about. I don't know, but it certainly seems like, you know, to your point that there's, uh, um, there's, there's an aligned thought process of all parties in, interested, invested uh, in this or invested, I should say in this, to to uh, you know produce a product to do it the right way and to entertain and provide to to its consumers what they've been craving for for the last several months. Hey Jared, I want to take you back uh, about a month or so ago. So for let's say that you guys have been doing some phenomenal uh, interviews, not you know not just the ones that uh, you know that, that occur in the you know, in the, in the media scrum, but the, those that you, in which you talked earlier about being, having to be six feet away from somebody and having, yeah. having the post-game interviews. But I want to take it back to the, the, the uh, game six after the Nuggets uh, 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 beat Utah. Uh, yeah. Jamal Murray scores 50 points. I'm sure you, you probably still have that fresh in your mind. And Jamal was, was really, I mean, really emotional uh, and uh, just uh, want to acknowledge the, the, the class and the professionalism that you exhibited while you just stuck with him and gave him time to, to kind of compose himself. But can you talk about that interview as well as maybe other interviews and how the, the bubble atmosphere seems to, uh, I don't know what it is, but it seems to bring more out of the players or maybe it's just your special skill where you're able to get more out of these guys. <laughs> um, first of all, you, you said that was a month ago. If you would have asked me before you asked me that question, how long ago that was, I would have said like three months ago. I, I, there is no sense of time in, in the bubble. It is unbelievable. Like LeBron was asked today how long he feels like he's been in here. He says it's felt like five years. I'm right there with him. And, and I don't have nearly the physical impact on my body that he does. But, um, but yeah, um, you know, and I've had some of those moments too with, with LeBron. I've been fortunate to have a lot of Laker games on my schedule. Um, you know, th as I mentioned, I, I knew coming into to the bubble, it was going to be a historic event no matter what happened right just because as i said we've never done this before um and then when you add in all the other layers uh the climate you know with with the social injustice racial injustice um you know the political climate that that's going on with with the uh uh election that's coming up with with the separation of being away from your friends and family for so long i think it builds up a lot I went into my interviews, and I'm, I'm not trying to outsmart anybody, I promise you, but I, I went into my interviews with a di different thought process here than I ever have before. And it simply came down to being committed to what I think 
is important that we all do more of, which is listening and understanding. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I want to get to the Jamal Murray one, but I want to start with opening night for me. I did Lakers Clippers and LeBron James hit the game winning shot against the Clippers opening night. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, and the first, I knew that that was so significant from a basketball standpoint, but I also knew that if I asked LeBron James a basketball question, or if I asked him about that game winning shot, he was going to blow me off and he was going to go talk about what he wanted to talk about. So I gave him the space in that opportunity to address some things because it was his first one-on-one -on -one interview in four months to address some topics that were probably more prevalent on his mind. And because it was ju just a regular season game, it wasn't necessarily the most important thing that he hit the game winning bucket. And so that helped, you know, get me to, from interview to interview to interview and kind of read the room. There are some guys who, and there's, and listen, I, I don't fault there. Any, I don't judge. I just know there are some guys that I interview that just want to talk basketball. I know there are some guys that would rather not talk about basketball. I know there are some guys who want to talk about themselves. They want to talk about their teammates. I know there's some guys who don't want to talk about their teammates. They want to talk about themselves. And with Jamal Murray, I didn't, I don't know him that well. I've interviewed him, a, you know, a ha handful of times, never in that situation. And I knew he was emotional during the game, but more importantly, I thought, or not more importantly, but more significantly in my mind, I thought he was exhausted because there were a couple of moments that I was watching really closely during the fourth quarter of that game when he went down to his knees, put his hands on his knees. And I just thought he was exhausted after that, that, you know, must win game. And then when he came over to interview me, he looked me in the eye and I didn't see any issues. And then he went down, put his hands on his knees again. And I didn't realize he was gathering himself. I thought he was catching his breath and maybe he was as well. But then he, he, he wrote, his body rose up and he looked at me and I saw his eyes swelling and I was like, oh man. And that's when I put two and two together that I knew he had the, the shoes on, the picture on, on one shoe of Breonna Taylor and a picture of George Floyd on, on the other shoe. And it kind of all just like, you know, it was like, oh, that, this, that's what's happening. And, and I think, you know, in those moments, you have to make a decision of do you respect the player on the, on the side of let him go gather himself, we can do this another time? Or do you say, you know what? He's allowing himself to be vulnerable in this moment because he has something to say. And if we just take a breath, we just take a beat and listen, just listen and allow the moment to evolve, he'll get to where he needs to go. He'll, he'll, he'll talk, he'll, he'll, he'll gather himself and be able to talk about what he wants to talk about. And I think that's eventually what happened. And, and for a young player in that moment, and I think that's what impressed me the most about being here in the bubble is, is how many young players were willing to stick their neck out and speak out and be a leader, even if in past generations of the NBA, we would look at these guys and say, well, what are, you're, you're not ready for that. You, you, you don't have the right to speak out. No, what we're learning is if you have an opinion, the NBA is going to encourage you to use your platform to speak up. Jared, and that's a, that's, tremendously well said on so many accounts. You know, the thing I keep going back to is there's going to be a lot of journalism classes, you know, whether it's at my alma mater, the University of Kansas, your alma mater at Hofstra, who analyze the interviews that you and your counterparts have done in this bubble scenario and how 
you've not only blended sports, but you've blended culture and you've yeah. used it as a platform to raise their voices. For a lot of young journalists and a lot of young reporters who aspire to be sideline reporters and hosts like yourself, what are some of the intricacies of being a moderator in that situation and giving them the space and giving them that platform while making sure that you get your question asked, but you also are respectful of their time? Yeah, I, I've spent, Aaron, a, a lot of time thinking about this here in the bubble because I, I, knew, I knew from day one um, that it wouldn't be just basketball. And, you know, it wasn't up to me to decide whether that's right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, I think that the number one conclusion I've come to, and this sounds so freaking obvious, and I like, it pisses me off that I didn't think about this sooner. Um, even though we've all kind of thought about it, I don't necessarily know that we practice this. I've started to really harp on myself to ask questions that I don't know the answer to, that I want to learn more about. I think too often in interview situations, whether it's podcasts like this, or whether it's a walk-off interview at the end of a game, or whether someone's calling into a radio show, we asked questions because we want a certain answer. And I'm not necessarily saying that's always wrong, but I've tried now to pride myself on not trying to lead the person I'm interviewing down a tunnel to answer the sound bite that I want. Typically in life, when you're having a conversation with one of your friends, you ask them a question because you don't know the answer. You don't ask them a question because you know the answer. If you knew the answer, you wouldn't ask a question. So I think that's the first thing is ask questions because you want to know what the answer is, not because you know what the answer is. Otherwise, you would not ask it. The, the other part of it is, is there has to be a blend in sports in particular of preparation and reaction. And it's the hardest thing to do, but you have to start to think about your post-game questions or my end-of-quarter questions that I have with the coaches, which is the most awkward thing in all of media, and it's the dumbest thing, but it is what it is. You have to start thinking about those questions early in the day. But then you have to be willing to adapt and react to what happened in the game and make a decision on whether the questions you had early in the day or the themes that you were playing off of early in the day still make sense for you to ask. And I'm not necessarily saying that I come up with my questions at three o'clock in the afternoon for a post-game interview, but I know that, for example, there was one game where I had LeBron where he became the winningest player in playoff history past Derek Fisher. I knew that if I was going to interview LeBron, that was going to have to be one of the questions because it was a historic moment in the NBA. But, you know, you have to be willing to, you have to allow yourself to watch the game, listen to your broadcasters. One of the other things we do too is we really pride ourselves on this at TNT is we listen really closely to what the guys in the studio say at the, in the pregame show, at the halftime show, and we want to react off of that as well. So I think it's, it's just a combination of your prep your reaction, and your willingness to listen to what's happening and follow up, right? Like, don't just, don't just skip over their answer because you've got your next question lined up if they've said something that deserves a follow-up question. 
Hey, I'm sorry you have to have to listen to everything that Chuck says and follow up on that because <laughs> sometimes that's a job. No, but in all seriousness, um, so you've been inside the bubble. You've had a, a, a unique glimpse into something very rare that very people get to see. And you've obviously covered games outside the bubble. So fast forwarding a couple of months when they start the 2021 season, how is this supposed to work from your perspective? I don't know, man. I like... I know this is not going to work again. As, as successful as this was, there's no way anybody's doing this again. Um, I think, you know, ownership wants to wait. The, the read I get is they want to wait and delay next season as long as possible to be able to get at least some fans in the stands. How they do that, whether there's a vaccine or whether the, the virus is under control, I, I, I you know, I, I don't know how they do that. Um, but I do know something, and and I think both of you being, I can tell the, the type of basketball fans that you are, um, from the time I've been 15 years old, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, from the time I've been 15 years old, every time I've walked into a basketball gym, whether I'm covering like a high school game when I was younger, whether I was covering college games, or whether I was covering NBA games, something happens to my body every time I walk in, particularly to an NBA arena. Like, I just get this rush of adrenaline. And it doesn't matter whether it's a regular season game or, you know, the greatest game I ever went to, which was game seven of the 2016 NBA Finals. Like, I get that adrenaline rush. I've not gotten that one time here. And it's mm. so freaking weird because mm. these are some of the biggest games that we've seen in a long time. There's so much on the line. There's so much drama. The games themselves have been way more competitive than anybody could have ever have imagined that they could be or hoped that they would be but not having 20,000 fans not having the booing or the cheering or you know a guy at a free throw line with you know everybody ready to razz him if he misses it like we miss that a lot like these games as great as they have been to watch on television have been sterile in the building and there's nothing the NBA could do about it like it's not their fault Nobody did anything wrong. We just need the fans back. It makes the game more special. Absolutely. And it's fun to see them up on the screens cheering on their yeah. fans. But, you know, our own Bruce Bernstein has done it. He's been a virtual fan. He said it's not the same. You can't replicate that experience right. of 20,000 fans being in arena. But all right, Jared, we'll let you go on this. Uh, two quick questions. They're easy ones. Who are you taking between the Lakers and the Heat? And then the last question, what's the first thing you're going to do the second you step outside of that Disney campus? I don't know which question is more difficult. Um, I really want to say the heat. Um, can I be honest about this, guys? I'm going to just call myself out because uh, was it cold take or frozen takes exposed might get me sooner rather than later. Um, I didn't pick the heat to make the playoffs this year. And now they're in the finals. I, I just thought they were too young. I didn't see Tyler Hero making this impact. Who knew Duncan Robinson would be like the next Clay Thompson? Um, but what they have shown me is, and a lot of people are comparing them to the 04 Pistons, who, you know, coincidentally beat the, the Lakers and ended the Lakers' last dynasty that they had. Um, like, nothing would surprise me because the, the bubble fits the Miami Heat. So many people ask me before coming into the bubble, who's. Who gets the edge? Is it a younger team, an older team? What we found out is it's mostly younger players have the edge here because they're not distracted by the calls from home. Where, when are you coming home? 
you know, you're not helping out with the kids, all that type of stuff. But it's the team that's committed and the team that just says, you know what, this is a business trip. This is not a vacation. Um, and that's why I think they have been able to have a lot of success on top of their talent. It wouldn't surprise me if the Heat won, but I'm going to go Lakers and six. And the first thing I'm going to do, I really need to detox because there's not much to do inside the bubble. So um, we find ourselves at the bar a lot. Matter of fact, if you guys want to talk for longer, that'll delay me going to the bar tonight. So um, probably, probably detox, but I need, I need some good, I need some like good fresh fish. I need like maybe some lobster, maybe some salmon, uh, maybe some, maybe some sushi. I just need some fresh, some fresh food. And then I'm going to do a long detox and start to exercise a lot uh, to get ready for next season. Awesome. Well, if you're looking for a good bar, as it sounds like you might be, there's a good one at the Polynesian called Trader Sam's. It's not too bad if you haven't been there just yet. Well, I no, we can't go there. Don't <laughs> tease me with these things. There's like one place I'm allowed to go and that's not it. Oh, like, man. People, you don't understand how many people have hit me up by saying, Oh, uh, that, that live around the area. Hey, let me stop by. Or, you know, you should really go to this place or go to this golf course or go check out this. No, we can't do anything. And like people don't understand. I spend more time in this room, this, you know, 100 foot square foot hotel room than I do anyplace else. And it's been 70 days. <laughs> well, we're excited for the season to be over. We're excited for you to get home and for you to be Thank able you. to detox. And Jared, thanks so much for taking the no, time. You got it, this has been no, fantastic. I really appreciate you guys reaching out. I've enjoyed what you guys have been doing, and uh, thank you for having me. That was dope. Well, that was fascinating hearing from Jared and all that is going on inside the bubble, things that we have absolutely no idea. Aaron, what were, your, what were some takeaways? Uh, you know, I've always been impressed with his interview style and the way that he carries himself, but more so just he had a full grasp on the things that the players have gone through in this situation. And, you know, there's a lot of times that reporters, broadcasters, hosts will make a situation about themselves and the questions that they ask. And the furthest thing I took away from that was that Jared made sure that he did not want to be the one remembered for those instances. And to be in those moments and in those situations, that's a very difficult thing to do. Exactly. Look, we talked uh, of some time ago about one interview that was done in the bubble, uh, and that was Doc Rivers, uh, yeah. now, now the former uh, Clippers, L.A. Clippers coach. Uh, in fact, we had another conversation about whether what would happen to Doc after, the, after their, uh, their exit. And uh, I believe the consensus was an overreaction would be to get rid of the coach. <laughs> so is it an overreaction? I think so. You know, to, to penalize a coach on a situation that, you know, we've seen some wild things in this NBA playoffs, right? You know, for instance, the Heat are in the finals. Right. Right. <laughs> like, to, to take away the rhythm of a regular season and then to accelerate things at such a quick rate like they had to in the bubble and to expect that that team was going to play the same way that they were playing in March when the season was suspended. That's outrageous. You know, you know, the things that make Doc Rivers a great coach are his ability to connect with his players and for him to understand a situation. And that has always been one of his strongest skill sets. And to penalize a coach in an instance like this that has done so much for your organization. I, I mean, 
you covered the NBA when all that was going on with the Clippers and Donald Sterling and the way that he steered that organization was really the one running it at that time, you know? And then to penalize him on a team that is in year one, year one of Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and their surrounding parts and say that he was the problem. No, it was an unprecedented situation. And I felt like he at the very least deserved a second go around with this team. Cause think of what that heat team was like, you know, when it was the heatles and everybody was talking about the number of championships they were going to win. Think about what they were like in year one and all these teams that are kind of like constructed on the fly. It's a hard thing to do. And it's an even more difficult situation when you're dealing with some of the things that he had to deal with in this bubble. Yeah, no, exactly. The, you know, it's not as the, I mean, yes, they should have, uh, everyone had them in the Western conference finals and that would have been amazing. But uh, it just feels like it's an unceremonious move to, to do this and to kind of deny Doc the you know, ability to see what uh, uh, this team could have done in a regular season. Um, I know I don't, I don't want to overstate it, but uh, Doc is a guy that, that players do like to play for. And you wonder who they're going to be able to bring in that's going to elicit that kind of spirit and fire and buy-in from, you know, guys like Paul George and Patrick Beverly. I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure what the roster is obviously going to look like, but, but those are, those are, those are kind of some guys who, who, you know, need to be coached and need to be coached a certain way. And, and Doc had that connection. So, you know, I don't know, where, where does he, where does, well, where does Doc land? Otto, that's, that's a great question. And honestly, one, I haven't even thought about where he could potentially land, you know, but for people who, are so keen on the idea of Ty Lue leading this Clippers team. I don't think Ty Lue is going to be any better than the way um, Doc Rivers was able to steer this franchise for so long. But to, to close on this, does this feel more like a reactionary move because of those Clippers teams that he was at the helm of, you know, with Griffin, uh, with CP3, and with J.J. Redick that just never kind of could get past that hump? You know, they were never – able to quite get to the top of the mountain does this seem more like a referendum on those teams failures than this team's lack of success mm, good, good good question i mean I, I don't know how much Ballmer was you know thinking about that and i'm not exactly sure what was going through doc's mind i mean you know they, they ran into um a, a perfectly constructed team at the, at the moment i mean denver would just yeah. rip right through them after you know after going down three one so hard hard to say but um you know, personally wish Doc the best. I mean, the times that I've interviewed him, spent time with him, he's been great. I'd love to see him, you know, in, in a market, whether it's, you know, Houston and Philly and be part of another, uh, to take another group of guys along to, you know, to the, to the promised land. Could he get that Houston team over the hump? Hmm. Well, why not? Let's end it, Let's end it that way. Why not, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, on that note, we will call it a show. So that's one more edition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. Want to thank our guest today, it'd be Jared Greenberg of TNT. Also want to thank our producers, Scott Turkin and Bruce Bernstein and our editor, Tom Phillip. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun talking with Jared. It was a lot of t- fun talking about an NBA finals matchup, Otto, that, you know, a few months ago, we never thought maybe would happen or we'd get to this point. But here we are. 
And just a reminder, if you have been enjoying our content, check out all of Pure Hoops Media content. We have shows that run Monday through Friday. On Mondays, it's the Mike Weiss Show. This week, I was joined alongside by the one and only Bruce Bernstein, who hosted and filled in for Mike. We also chatted with Dave Wall as we had an instant reaction roundtable episode after the Heat advanced the NBA Finals. We previewed the NBA Finals as well. Tuesdays is Full Court Press with John Fanta and Kim Adams. Wednesdays is where you get all your NBA news and nuggets as Otto and I have all the latest breaking news from the NBA. We also talk with some of the NBA's very best right here on Catch and Shoot 2.0. Thursdays is Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure. This Thursday, they will have a reaction to game one of the NBA finals. And Friday, we wrap things up with the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. And one final note. Uh, we know that COVID-19 is uh, still with us and will be for quite some time. So we want everyone to continue to social distance, wear a mask and wash hands. And also one other thing, you know, it's, kind of, it's always important to remember that those who are less fortunate in these times. And I'm going to point the finger to one guy who we don't really talk about a lot, but has made a big impact in somebody's life recently in the NBA family. And that is uh, Mavericks owner, uh, Mark Cuban. Uh, he basically reached out to Delonte West, who a uh, former player who's come on hard times. He's basically living off the streets. And uh, he reached out to Delonte West and was trying to help him get it back on, get his life back on track. So I want to give props to, uh, for, to Mark Cuban for recognizing uh, someone who's down on his luck. Absolutely. Love people doing good things for good people. That does it for us here on Catch and Shoot 2.0. Just a reminder, if you did like the show, rate, comment, and subscribe, and share with all your friends and everybody this week. Enjoy some good basketball. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.